Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, through your word, write a script that tells of love and grace. Amen. I have two short passages to read this morning. They're both taken from letters that Paul wrote to churches, one to the church in Galatia, the other the church in Philippi. First, from the um, Philippian um, letter. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, Work on your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then from Galatians. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. The word of the Lord. A few days ago, I read a rough draft of an obituary for Treva Richter. I read it with great interest because Treva was a remarkable woman, well-loved in this church. But I also read the obituary with a new perspective. Because just the day before, I listened to an episode of Kate Bowler's podcast, Everything Happens. Her guest was Thomas Lynch, a funeral director. In the twilight of his career, Lynch works part-time and is never on call. I'm not retired, he said. I'm not retired, but I'm not required. Lynch is not only a funeral director, but also a poet. With great eloquence, he reflects on the meaning of both death and life and on the significance of what it is that he does to help families navigate the logistics of going through memorial services and going through grief. Lynch loves a good obituary. And what he means by a good obituary is one that manages within the boundaries of a word limit to say something that is unique and true. He sees a good obituary as the first draft of a biography. That got me to thinking. I'm often given the sacred responsibility of giving opening remarks and memorial services where I speak of the person being remembered. And when I am able to do something or say something that speaks to the unique essence of someone now lost, maybe what I'm doing then is giving a second draft of a biography. And that got me thinking some more. If we are living thoughtful and purposeful lives, are we not writing a draft of our autobiography? 
Maybe those who live only for themselves, who don't much care what other people think, but care only for what works for them, maybe they don't give much thought to how they will be remembered. Their quality of life is more important than the quality of the impact that their lives make on others. But most people, I think, and certainly for most people who are sitting in this sanctuary or joining us for worship online, well, we want to tell a story that means something. We want to tell a story with our lives, a story that will tell of something good that we do or we're about. We hope to make some kind of positive and meaningful impact so that when our story is told with tears and laughter, it'll bear some message that other lives were gifted because we lived. Treva worked with students to help them understand their gifts and what they could offer the world. Marilyn brought beauty into rooms with her flowers and beauty into lives with her grace. Many remember how Bob coached them not only to succeed on the playing field, but also to succeed in life. Jay's passion was to make sure that those who could not afford counsel got the best representation they could receive, especially those on death row. These were four members lost to us within the last couple of years who came immediately to my mind. Now, all of them, they cared about the difference that they would make with their lives. And I imagine that all of them, being human, cared how they would be remembered, cared how we would remember them. With what they said and did, they were trying to write a narrative in the world so that someday others might say that they bore fruit that nourished others. Not that others will get it all or get it all right. The legacy of our lives, for good or ill, is not going to be fully known or appreciated by anyone else. Memories are rough drafts that are going to need editing and need to do fact-checking, and memories fade over time. I mean, we see Bill Klein's picture in Heritage Hall, and there's still many in this church who can tell their own stories of the impact that Bill made on their lives. But we also see a picture of Arthur Robotham. And we have to read a chapter out of the book, Second Century, to know something of the impact that he made. A chapter, by the way, written by Jeffrey Siemens, where he didn't know Arthur either. He had to rely on documents and sources. Yet an impact he made and an impact the congregation he served made. If we are in this church, our life together as a congregation is better because of lines of influence that go back to that Scotsman who once preached in this sanctuary in a pulpit that probably sat where Jody Ayers is sitting because this part wasn't even built yet. And the members of the church who built the foundations and traditions of our worship programs and missions but most of us today, none of us today, can draw ourselves many of those real lines. And yet there is another audience for the autobiographies we are writing. And that's the one who sees and knows us for who we really are. God is the audience the Apostle Paul cares most about when he writes the autobiography of his life. 
And God is the audience he wants the followers of Jesus in Philippi and Galatia to care most about. Paul cares deeply about the legacy of his life. He cares deeply about his legacy, even saying what he does about grace and works. In his letter to the Galatian church, he says, saved by grace are we, not by works. And he means it. We can't earn God's love and we don't have to. Last Sunday in the 11 o'clock service, Bob Martin came to the front of the sanctuary to offer the prayer of dedication. And in his prayer, he incorporated what I know is one of his favorite quotes. I know this because I remember when, over two decades ago, he told me how this quote hit him straight between the eyes when he read it in Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. Because we are saved by grace, Yancey wrote, there's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. And nothing we can do to make God love us any less. Paul believes that. Paul proclaims that truth. And yet Paul wants to live a life that bears fruit. He wants his readers to live lives that bear fruit. He wants us to live lives that bear fruit. Specifically the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if your life is all about you and not about others, then this jump from grace to bearing fruit isn't very motivating. I mean, if I'm not saved by what I do, then why is what I do all that important? If I don't owe God, then why do I owe the world? Paul has plenty to say to people who think like that, but he's not writing to them. He's writing to people like you. Folks who genuinely care about the difference that we can make in the lives of others. Having spoken to our anxiety about losing God's love, he's now speaking to the desire to share God's love. And if we have an identity grounded in God's love and grace, then naturally we would want to live out that identity in how we live. Don't we? Don't we? collectively? We remember that Paul is not writing to individuals, he's writing to bodies of believers. Considering the fruits of the Spirit that he listed, he would want us as a body of believers, that is Second Presbyterian Church, to consider the impact we make if we would bear the fruit that comes of knowing that we are loved by God and saved by grace. We can, for instance, Look for the best in each other graciously. And we can with grace consider the worst in each other with forgiveness as an end. We can be patient. We can be kind. We can be generous in giving. We can show some self-control as we place a priority on what is for the benefit of all and not just for the benefit of ourselves. And then Paul would ask us what fruits of the Spirit this body of believers can offer Roanoke and beyond. In today's touchy and argumentative culture, it's popular for people to seek out and find instances where churches have done more harm than good. And when that's the case, I mean, that truth needs to be told. But when the truth, I mean, the real, actual truth is that a body of believers actually 
is making a witness that bears the kind of fruit that Paul describes that that offers grace and hope, that knits a community of caring, that attends to hurting places in people's hearts and in the world, then that story needs to be told too. Not to bring glory to the church, but to reveal the glory of God's transforming love. And so it's up to us, each and every one of us, to write the next chapter of the autobiography of the body of believers that is this congregation. Next Sunday is Commitment Sunday when we'll all be asked to make a financial commitment to go with the other commitments we make to support the work and witness of this congregation. I think in considering what that commitment will be, we need to know as much as we can what story we are helping to tell through our giving. During the call to discipleship that, uh, that will be introduced by Ben, we're going to watch a video that tells the story of our budget. Don't worry, it's not going to be about listing figures or budget items, but rather a story of the impact that we are making through our giving. And when we watch the video, I guess we'll be the audience. But let's watch it knowing that God is our audience too. That God who loves us, wants us to bear the fruit that comes of God loving others through us. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.